This week we're continuing in our series called This is Church. We've just finished looking at several primary ways uh, over the last couple weeks, primary components for the church. If you recall, we've talked about how in the church, one of the primary things is that the preaching of God's word, that the gospel goes forth. And last week we talked about the ordinances that the church is supposed to participate in regularly of water baptism and holy communion. And now we're going to begin examining, uh, this is the first part of three, where we look at different images that we find in the Bible for the church. So this week we're going to talk about the church as the family of God. Next week we're going to talk about the church as the bride of Christ. And then the third one in this series of the images of the church is going to be the church as the body, where all the believers make up the body. And as followers of Jesus, we become a part of God's family. Last week, while Pastor Dave was preaching about communion, we did something that was really cool here. I don't, maybe you weren't here, but we did our regular family communion. But normally when we do family communion, we have uh, our regular nuclear families take communion together. But we started touching on this idea that as believers, we are all one family. So we took family communion, but we are spread out all over this cafeteria in one giant circle. And I don't know, maybe for some of you, you had the same reaction I did. It was cool looking out at people who look nothing like me. Totally different backgrounds, maybe different skin color, just completely different from me. But I sat there holding the, or the juice and the bread and saying, this is my family. It was this really cool feeling. It, for me, it was like an aha moment. Like we talk about the family of God, but sitting around, standing in the circle and looking at everybody, it just came to life for me. We are a family together. Now we did that. We had our family communion last week together as everybody because as we were studying, studying communion, we realized that in communion, we're identifying ourselves as one single family when we eat the bread and drink the cup together. That one single family, God's family. You see, to God, family is very important. We see this in the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates Adam and Eve, and he makes them to become one flesh, one family, and they are the start of all of humanity. He says, go and multiply. And then we trace that a little further to Genesis chapter 15. And in Genesis chapter 15, God calls out to Abraham and says, Abraham's an old man and his wife is well beyond childbearing age. And God says, Abraham, I want to make a family through you. And Abraham laughs and says, okay. Or Sarah laughs. Long time goes and they don't have any children. But God again says, I want, I'm going to make a family for you. And so Abram takes it into, at, at that time he's called Abram. He's called Abraham a little later. At that time, uh, Abram decides, okay, I'm going to take things into my own hands and I'm going to make a family for myself. Okay, so with Sarah's planning, he goes and decides to be with Sarah's maidservant and they have a child named Ishmael. But Ishmael says, Abram, this isn't the family I intended for you. Family's important to me and I've told you I'm going to make a family through you and your wife. And at the age of 100 years old, and Sarah at 90, they gave birth to Isaac. And Isaac was the true heir, the blood lineage that God had planned for Abram. 
And it's because of this, God's value in the family and seeing as in particular Abram's family is so important that all the Israelites in Abram's lineage knew these things. They knew it was important. And that's why we read in Genesis chapter 38 the story of Judah and Tamar. It's an interesting story where Judah is Tamar's father-in-law and when Tamar's husband, Judah's son, dies, Tamar needs to marry Judah's next oldest son because the lineage, the blood lineage, had to continue being a part of God's family, that special family that was chosen. We also see in the Pentateuch, in the law, that God commands that Israelite men marry Israelite women. They're not to marry outside of the family because to God, this one family is so important. And when they marry foreign wives, it never goes well. As we talked about in Ruth in a series last year, Ruth had her husband die, and it was so important for her to have Boaz come and be her kinsman redeemer to restore that family lineage. It's this line of blood descendants was just crucial to the Israelite people. Speaking of lineages, we see genealogies all over the Bible. The purpose of genealogies to show us the line of descendants, to show us that line of blood relatives. And then when we get to Jesus, we see in uh, the first two Gospels, or two of the four Gospels, in Matthew and Luke, we see genealogies for Jesus. And both of them trace their way through this one special family that God has called out, Abraham's family. Family is important to God, especially this one family, the blood descendants of Abraham. But if we stop right there, we're left with this question. Okay, Ryan, we've been talking this morning a little bit about how we're all part of the family of God. But you're also saying throughout the whole Old Testament, you're not part of that family unless you're a blood relative. You're in that lineage. Unless you can point back down your genealogy and say, see, there's Abraham in my genealogy. And that leaves us in a bit of a question here. So unless you're Jewish, and I don't know how many of us in this room are Jewish, we're not a part of that family. But this is where Jesus steps in. And Jesus changes everything. Okay? This is a great phrase. If you've never heard this phrase, put this in your mind, lock it in. Jesus changes everything. You can use this lots of times when you're talking about Jesus. Can you say it with me right now? We're going to say, Jesus changes everything. If you don't know it, hold on to that. Okay, that's a nugget of truth you need to hold on to. And in this case, Jesus changes everything for what it means to be part of the family of God. Now we're going to look at Mark chapter 3, verse 31 again. In this story, Mark chapter 3, verse 31, okay, Jesus' mother and his brothers show up. They're standing outside this home while he's teaching and the crowd's sitting around him. And the crowd tells him, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside. They want you. And he did something that if I ever did, I would be in big, big trouble. If like somebody came to me, hey, Ryan, your mom's calling you. She wants you to come inside for dinner. And I sat there and went, who is my mother? Like seriously, how would that go over? Not well, not well at all. But that's exactly what Jesus does here. He responds, who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. 
This is astounding. He's denying his own family here. This is, I mean, I've just explained to you how this culture is so, it's so significant to them. Who is their father? Like in the whole Old Testament, they don't just give your name, they give your name the son of so-and-so, right? Family is crucial. And Jesus is saying, wait, who's my family? But then this is where he redefines it. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus is doing something amazing here. He's redefining family. He's saying it's no longer based on your blood lineage. It's no longer based on your family tree. This family, Jesus' family, is based on whoever does the will of God. And we all know that Jesus is the Son of God, so he's not just talking about his immediate earthly family. When Jesus redefines his family, his mother, his brother, his sisters, he's redefining God's family here. He's saying God's family is no longer closed to those who aren't Jewish. God's family is open to those who do the will of God. Think about that. The Jews had kept God's family closed. The people of Israel, the special people, you had to be Jewish. Sure, there were God-fearers, and they let people come and say that they worshiped God, but those people were treated as second-class citizens. The God-fearers were not able to go into the temple in the same way that the Jews were able to. They weren't able to participate in the rituals the same way. They were kept at arm's length. Like, you can worship our God, but you're not truly the people of God. Right? That's what they were doing. But Jesus redefined that. He essentially said, no longer is God's family determined by whom you were born to, but by whom you worship. And then we turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Could you turn with me there now? We've just seen that Jesus, he redefines family. And he says that you are my family if you do the will of God. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, we're going to see the Apostle Paul fleshes this out more clearly. He describes what exactly is happening. Because we look at this and Jesus just says, well, here's my family. Well, Paul describes what's happening in the spiritual sense. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 17, I'm going to read. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This scripture verse is loaded with important phrases that I'm going to unpack for us here today. First we see in verse 14, this phrase, sons of God. All who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. To this point, we all understand Jesus is the Son of God. He's the only begotten Son of God we read about in John 3.16. But here Paul is saying, wait a minute. 
If we are led by the Spirit, though, we too become sons of God. Sons and daughters. And then in verse 15, we have the spirit of adoption as sons. Adoption is how we become the children of God. This is the answer. This is what unlocks it. It's through adoption. In in America, adoption is a binding legal contract. A child becomes embedded into a new family. And that family gets a birth certificate. It's like that child has always been in their family. I love that Pastor Dave keeps giving me passages about adoption because this is something that I'm passionate about. Adoption isn't just saying, yeah, I'll take you over here, but when I go on vacation, I'm going to take my real kids on vacation. I'm going to take, it'd be like God saying, yeah, I've got you guys, the Gentiles who have come into my family, but really it's the Jews who are my family. But that's not how adoption works. That's not our image of adoption. When we adopt, we're bringing that person in. They are now your family. It doesn't matter about the lineage. It doesn't matter about the DNA or how they look. What matters is that you've made that promise and they become your child and you become their parent. And now this lineage is together and they're yours. And in the same way, what Paul is saying here is God adopts us. He cares so much about his own family, but he welcomes us into that family. We become part of the people of God. We don't have to belong to the lineage of Abram because we can't. There's nothing we can do to jump in and have, be part of that bloodline. All we can do is allow God to adopt us, to accept that gift that he gives us where he says, come, be a part of my family that is so important and precious to me. There's no difference between now the blood descendants of Abram and between us if we call Jesus Lord and Savior. There's no split in heaven where these are the Jews who believe in Jesus and these are the Gentiles who believe in Jesus. We're all one family. Jesus said so. His family are those who do the will of God. And then if we're adopted into this father, then we see in verse, uh, the end of verse 15, whom we cry, Abba, Father. This word Abba is an Aramaic word and it means father. Okay, so the reason that our Bibles say Abba, Father is because if they translated them both into English, it'd say Father, Father. It's a reminder, Jesus spoke Aramaic, okay? But what we, when we look at this term Abba in other outside sources, it's often referring to children, referring to their, to their dad. It's an intimate, a warm, intimate word that a child uses for their dad. Kind of in America, it'd be like saying daddy. All right? Some of us may have fathers. We, you know, we, our picture of dad or the man in our life was kind of this commanding, respectable man. And so we hold him as father. But in this phrase, Abba, father, we're seeing the other side of that as well. We're seeing Abba. We're seeing Daddy. That warm, intimate relationship of somebody who cares to us, who wants us to jump up on his lap. 
and just be with him. He's Abba, intimate father, and he's our father, our heavenly father that we have reverence and awe for. We have to understand that God is both. And then if God is our Abba Father, he's our daddy, then we continue reading in verse 16, or in verse 17, we are heirs of God. I don't know about you, but when we talk about heirs, typically we're talking about the descendants of somebody who's got money, right? Like my parents, they don't have heirs. They have children, right? But when you're the prince or the duchess of this country or that country, they have heirs. Our heavenly father, he has heirs, and we are his heirs. We're going to get an inheritance, and it's going to be big. It is the heavenly kingdom of God. How much more than anything we can imagine. We're heirs to the throne. And then the very next phrase, we're not just heirs with God. We're not just in this relationship of we're getting this inheritance from our heavenly father, our Abba father, but we're fellow heirs with Christ. So he's not just describing our relationship with God, but now he's saying, we all know Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is in this relationship with God. Jesus is the heir of God, but now we are fellow heirs with Christ. That's speaking of our relationship with Jesus. We're on this level field with Jesus because he's the son of God. We're sons of God. We're children of God. We can call him Abba Father the same way that Jesus called him Abba Father. We are brothers and sisters with Jesus. Talk about becoming part of the family, right? We, so we have two ways now that we're a part of this family. In one respect, we're becoming children to our daddy. And in the other respect, we're becoming brothers and sisters to everybody else who does the will of God. But what does that mean for us? And what does it mean to our church? Now I'm going to turn this over to Pastor Dave and he's going to unpack the implications of what it means to be adopted into God's own family and to be able to call God our Abba Father. So if you think about it, we're part of a family together. Every one of you. It's, I like being up here better. I can look you in the eye. It's like we're a family together. We are. Think about the implications of this, that we're a family together. First of all, part of being a family together is that we have a connection with God. That's part of what it means. Ryan talked about Abba, Father. I love this picture. Abba, Father. Daddy. That's so great. Um, you know, I have a few kids, and uh, when, when I come home... I have six kids. When I come home, Anna, my uh, 10-year-old, has this thing that I absolutely love. I'll come home, and I'll walk in the door, and she'll hear me come in. And from the other side of the house, she'll yell, Daddy! And then she'll just come sort of running, you know? And I gotta, if I'm carrying stuff, i got to be ready to, to grab this 10-year-old who's going to jump into my arms. And she does. She about knocks me over and jumps. And then Olivia, my 18-month-old, hears this. And then she comes home, and, and all she can say is, Da! So she comes around the home, da, and she comes in, and so I'm holding Anna, and I'm holding Livy, and then the dog comes barking, and he's 95 pounds, so he's got something to say about knocking me over, and there's this just moment of love, and uh, then the other kids come out, and, uh, and it's just usually a great, amazing time. I love coming home. Jesus had this view of his father 
Jesus called the Heavenly Father Daddy. And this is our Father, too. And Jesus opens up this relationship to all of us. Part of being a family means that we have a good dad. We have a good dad. God is a good dad. He loves to be close to you. God loves to care for you. His arms are wide open. Did you know that God loves you deeply? Now, some of you, let's be honest, you had lousy dads. It's just true. You think back to your dad growing up, and your dad was lousy. He didn't love you well. You didn't call him daddy. You called him sir. And you didn't have this affectionate, fond relationship with your father. And sometimes that does affect the way we view God. But God is still our daddy. I, I love, there's a picture that I think a lot of us can relate to. It's in Exodus chapter 33. Moses goes up to the mountain. He goes up on the mountain, and, he meet, and God says to Moses, Moses, I'm so pleased with you. I'll give you anything you want. And so Moses says, God, what I want more than anything else is to see your glory. And wouldn't that be cool? And God says, well, listen, no one can see my face or you'll die. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to hide you behind a rock, and I'll pass by with all my glory, and then I'll uncover you, and you can just kind of see the entrails of my glory. And so this happens, and Moses experiences this little bit of God's glory, and he comes down from the mountain. And what Moses doesn't realize is that the entrails of the glory of God set his face aglow. His face is glowing. And the people look at this, and they are freaked out. What kind of God in all his glory sets Moses' face on fire, glowing? And, and they're a bit terrified. That's why what Jesus did when Ryan said Jesus changes everything, that's why what Jesus did is so astounding, is that this God with this glory wants to be your daddy. He is. But some of us don't think of God like that. We think of God as this fear, sort of in this fear-based situation. We, we treat God like this. We say, okay, God, here's the deal. I've been really good this week, so don't hurt me. I mean, we just kind of work with him like that. We're like, God, I just don't want you to, to hurt me or to do something bad. Or, or, or else we think, God, I've been really good this week. Can you do something good for me? Sort, sort of this. I'll do something good. You do something good for me. Uh, when I was a kid, I, I was the starting shortstop on my baseball team. And uh, the one problem I had was that... Uh, when the ball came to me, I only threw it to first base about 60% of the time, <laughs> accurately, you know. And so I was worse than Sean Dunstan, if you remember those days, if it's Cubs fans. And so I would, before every ball was hit, I'd pray, Lord, I've tried to do my best this week and be a really good kid. Uh, will you please let this ball land in the first baseman's glove if it comes to me? Uh, you know, it's sort of this kind of reward-fear-based relationship with God. I've been good, you be good. When we see that, we... we just try to work really hard to make sure God doesn't have any reason to squash us. But the picture of daddy is something different. Yes, God wants to reward you, and he does reward faithful service. And he, but he, he wants to love you. He wants to be tender with you. That's part of what it means. Some of you feel so far from God today. You just feel a million miles from him. James chapter 4 is my favorite verse on this. James chapter 4, verse 8 says, Come near to God, and He will come near to you. 
If you feel a million miles from God today, a million miles away, that's his promise. Come near to me and I will come near to you. God loves you dearly. The family of God means this connection with your daddy, with Abba Father. He desires closeness and intimacy with you. He does. And these are part of the implications of what it means to be a family of God. So, you know, I mentioned, you know, it makes me think of my own family a lot talking about this. And I mentioned I had six kids. Um, Malachi was just born two weeks ago. And so, uh, you know, imagine that I'm, we had this big chair at our house. It's huge. It's like a chair and a half, if you know what that is, a big brown cushy chair. And, uh, you know, Imagine that I'm sitting there holding in that chair, holding Malachi. And then, of course, Olivia, this whole infant thing has rocked her world. So she's like, whoa, what's going on? I'm not the baby anymore. And so Olivia will jump up in that chair and try to poke her fingers in Malachi's eyes. Um, <laughs> we have issues. But, you know, so I hold her in and love her. And then, you know, just imagine that my kids pile in one at a time. Benjamin hops in and Anna hops in and Kaylin and then... Nick, we just look at because he's huge and <laughs> just go, you're going to squash us, right? And we're just sort of all in this big chair together. As a fa I mean, that's a picture that I love with God, Abba, Father. But now, the interesting thing, if you can imagine that sort of scenario where all, we're all piled in one chair, is that as my kids are relating to me and loving Abba, Father, they've got to learn to sort of get along, <laughs> Because their elbows are going to be in each other's sides. And, you know, it's not going to be comfortable maybe at that moment. And I think as the family of God, that is true for us as well. You see, the second thing you need to know, implication, is that connection with the Abba Father means we need to be connected with each other. Ryan talked about how Jesus turned everything on its head. Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Jesus is saying this family that he's creating, that Christ is, this family is really, really important. Some of you would say, whoa, Dave, this makes me a little uncomfortable. Is the family of God more important than my own nuclear family? I mean, is that what you're saying, Dave? Is that what you're saying? The family, I should, like... Maybe you're saying, whoa, I should just ignore my own family and put the, the church family ahead of my nuclear family? Is that what you're saying, Dave? Well, no. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, if anyone does that, if anyone doesn't provide for his relatives, especially for members of his own household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So I'm not saying that you should just ignore your nuclear family. But I am saying many of us have this all wrong. We have it all wrong. We have placed our nuclear family on such a high plateau, and we placed the church, the family of God, on such a low surface that it's not even close. In fact, the Bible calls anything we put and we love more than God, the Bible calls that idolatry. Because some of us love our families more than we even love our Heavenly Father. Some of us don't even think about our real family, the family of God, because we're so busy idolizing our children. Some of us are killing our kids. We don't even know it. We're killing them by putting them in every activity, in everything, in every place, and every, we're killing our kids. If you make the world revolve around your children, when they grow up, they will expect the world to revolve around them. And some of us have done that. 
We have just put our own nuclear family on such a high plateau, we almost idolize our children. Jesus says that this is a family. This church, this body, his body is a family. And I'm not saying that you should ignore your kids and not love them. I'm saying that we all should elevate the family of God. We should elevate the people in the family of God. Jesus says this is a family. And this family, this church, church, the church universal, the church local, is the, this family is the hope of the world through Jesus. Because Jesus is the hope of the world and this is his chosen vehicle, his family, to reach the world. So loving the family of God is important. Loving the family of God is really important. And this gets messy sometimes. Loving the family of God means serving each other. Um, in Acts chapter 2, we get this picture of the early church. Uh, our next series after this topical series on this is the church, the next series we're going to enter into is, is a look at the book of Acts. And right away we see this early church coming together after Jesus had given them the great commission and sent them into heaven in the day of Pentecost. This early church had come together. And in Acts chapter 2 we see this beautiful picture of them, the church, together all the time, serving each other's needs. In Acts we learn that they were selling stuff to provide for each other's needs. That's family. Um, you know, recently we just put a little blurb in the bulletin and said we have some members in our family that uh, are in need of some financial help. They've had some crisis, some things have happened. And just a little blurb. And you know, you all responded faithfully by sacrificing and giving for those needs. Uh, I, we got people jumping up to help. Yeah. I mean, thank you. That's part of being a family. Uh, we had another individual family going through a really rough patch, and, and, uh, and frankly, this family didn't really even know where the next mortgage payment was coming from, or sometimes, you know, it was like mac and cheese again tonight. And, uh, and people just randomly would say, you know, I know, and they'd drop money in their mailbox, and, and people from Waukee Community Church were just loving them. That's awesome. That's amazing. Uh, you know, I love how uh, a bunch of you all showed up at Pastor Jeff's house and tore out bushes for him and cleaned up his house because he's got a ton of work to do on this house he bought. Like, this is a picture of the family. It's, it's an investment. It takes sacrifice. It takes time. Sometimes we're tired, and yet we do it for each other because we're family. We serve each other. That's one of the implications of being a family. We sacrifice and serve for each other. We also handle conflict. I mean, we're all in this family together, and guess what? We are not going to see eye to eye. Uh, we've got Republicans. We've got Democrats. We've got people who, you know, offend each other. We've got bad breath people probably, you know. We've got people who think differently about a, thing, a lot of things, and we are going to offend each other. It's going to happen. Some of you hate conflict. Some of you just run from conflict. You are terrified of conflict. In fact, just me talking about conflict makes some of you uncomfortable right now. You're just really uncomfortable. You know, some of you hate conflict. As a family, one of the implications of being a family is that we handle conflict. We don't run from it. We work through it. We handle conflict. Another implication is that we do the job that no one wants to do. Uh, you know... Right now, because of Malachi is 
newborn and Olivia is still getting up in the night at some point, uh, my job is supposed to be to get up with Olivia in the night. And Clarissa's job is supposed to be to work with Malachi. Um, and so this thing happens. Usually Olivia wakes up at 2.30 in the morning and all I got to do is go in the room and pick her up and give her a kiss and hold her and put her back to bed. But at 2.30, I don't want to do that, you know. So there's, there's this whole thing that I lay there, and I hear her in the monitor, and I think maybe if I pretend I'm sleeping just long enough, Clarissa will get up and do it for me, right? You know, this is the job. And so she, you know, then I feel her foot, like the kick, you know, wake up, Tave. It's this job that nobody wants to do. In the church, when we're a family, we need to do people to do the jobs that no one wants to do. There are times where we have things that we just need to do. We're a family, and we do it. What's the job that no one wants to do? Some of you think, okay, Dave, so I like that you're talking about the connection with God part. That's good. This connection with a church family, I don't know. I'd like to keep the church at arm's length. I mean, frankly, some of us say, we're going to go to church, and I like to do that thing on Sunday. I love Waukee Community Church because they don't ask anything of me. They don't have 14 million programs they got to do. I love this place. I can just come and get a sermon and some worship and go. And you're keeping the church, your family, at arm's length. And some of you need to stop and say, nope, no longer. No longer. I will step in. I will commit to this family. I will be part of the three circles of Waukee Community Church. We talk about it all the time. Sunday gathering, life groups, and service. Those are the three circles, the three things that means to be part of Waukee Community Church. And you need to say, you know what, Dave, you're right. This is my family, and I've been holding the family at arm's length. Healthy families reproduce. As we are a family together, one of the challenges I mentioned earlier was that we want to see our church grow because we care for other people. And so as we commit to each other, we commit to others as well. We say, we want to pull you in. I love what's happening on Faith in Action Sunday. Oh, it's amazing seeing all you out there working and serving and loving other people and saying, come on in. Come on into our family. We want to love, show the love of Jesus to you because we love each other so much because we love Jesus so much. Come on in. Come on in. Sundays is sometimes prime time, you know. Uh, if anyone's going to come off of the street into the family of Waukee Community Church, they're probably going to come into a Sunday gathering. They probably run across us on the internet or see our sign driving by, and, and they might come in here. And are we going to love them? Are we going to find them and reach out to them and love them? We need to. Uh, but there's also people in your neighborhood, and you're more likely to maybe invite them to your life group. Bring them in. We love them. Connection, the connection we have as the family of God. If we love Jesus, it demands that we pull other people into this. How can your life group extend the, lo the love of this family of God to others? This is the family we live in. We're a great big family. You know, some of us didn't choose our relatives here. You know, you look around and you go, I don't know if I want to be related to these Waukee Community Church people. They're a little weird, especially Pastor Dave. We know he's really weird. I don't know how close I want to get to that. It doesn't matter. If they're in the family of God, you're in the family of God. We're family. And Waukee Community Church is well on the way to making this happen. We've got a long ways to go, but we're on the way. In the Arabian Peninsula, when we were sending teams there, 
we met a guy, and we'll just call him Muhammad because he got 50% chance of being right <laughs> when you're in the Arab world. And so uh, Muhammad's this interesting guy. He came to know Jesus as his Savior. And what's fascinating is in the Arabian culture, in, in that Muslim Arab culture, um, family is everything. Family is your support. Family is your friend. Family is your spouse, probably. I'm not joking about that. Like, a whole village will be related. Family is everything. Everything. Family chooses your spouse for you. Family is everything. And, and this young man, Muhammad, he came to know Jesus. And the first thing he did was tell his fiance. And his fiance tried to embrace Jesus. But her father found out. And he cut her off from him. And then hit Muhammad's family found out. And they cut him off. And here he is in the, in the Arab world with no family because they rejected him. That's what happened in the early church all the time. Do you know why the early church was together every day? It's because they didn't, their families most of the time just said, uh-uh, we're done with you. And they needed each other to survive. And the church in America is no different. We need each other to survive. And we're praying for this man, Muhammad. I pray for him all the time. And, but I pray for Waukee Community Church in the same thing. That the church is everything because it's a family. And we're in this together. So I have... Two challenges to you today as we wrap up and close. Two challenges. The first challenge is stop holding back. If some of you are holding back and going, I don't know if I want to fully commit to a family because my, my own personal family is good enough, I would encourage you, take a leap and invest. And then my other challenge would be some of you need to take a step and embrace what it means to be in a family that has such a great loving God. And like we talked about Abba Father earlier, some of you may realize today that you have never embraced this God whose arms are wide open to you. You've never switched your view of God to include a God who's tenderly on your side because if God is for us, who can be against us? And those are my challenges. Invest in the community, the family, and invest in the Father. Embrace his love that he has for you. As we pray, I, I want to just remind you, our elders would love to pray with you. And so uh, in that little room, kind of back to my right, back left over there, at the end of the service, one of our elders will be back there. And if you have a prayer need, I'd encourage you to just slip back there at, at the end of the service and just ask uh, for prayer. Maybe it's something we've been talking about today. Maybe as, as Ryan and I have been preaching, you have something that has come to your mind that has nothing to do with what we've been talking about today, and that's okay. Go and receive the blessing of having the elders that God has placed in our church lay hands on you and pray over you. And so I'd encourage you, um, after I pray and close us, to uh, slip back there if you have a prayer need. Let's pray together. Jesus, Thank you that because of you, we have a relationship with the Abba Father. Father, thank you that your arms are open wide. Today we pray that in all your goodness and all your glory, I pray that you would show up 
in our lives because you're here. You're always here waiting for us. And so, God, we cling to this promise, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. We know you will. And so we turn and we embrace you and we embrace this family together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your blood shed on the cross for our sins. And we pray all this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.